Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Very early on Tuesday morning, our producer, Madeline White, called an expert to talk about Russian disinformation being used in the current war. So, Maria, can I get you to start off? I just, if you don't mind just saying your full name for me, because I'm going to mm-hmm. give this recording to the host so that she can say your name correctly. Yes, uh, my name is Maria Avdeva. Maria is the research director for the European Expert Association, which is a Ukrainian-based think tank that looks into national security issues facing the country. She's based in Kharkiv. So Kharkiv is uh, on the eastern part of Ukraine. It is very close to the border with Russia. Actually, it is 40 kilometers from the center of the city to the border. So it is really close. And on the other hand, it is bordering with the with Donbass, so with uh, the the uh, areas where uh, some of the parts of the Donbass were previously occupied uh, by Russia. Usually, we don't publish the interview that producers do in advance of each episode, but today we wanted to play it because Maria's in a war zone, and you can hear it. And we think it's important to share that reality with you. But before we get started, this may be hard to hear, so please take care. Today on The Decibel, we take you to Kharkiv, where Maria Avdieva is fighting the information war in the midst of a city under siege. I want to ask you about your experiences so far since the invasion has begun. Um, why don't we start with last night? How did last night go? Well, last night it uh, the the heaven uh, the shelling was most heavy for the previous uh, days. So since the war uh, started, so the uh, shellings uh, went on throughout the night and then during the day, and uh, I had a. Uh, group of international journalists uh, here uh, with whom I am in contact and they were going to see uh, the scene uh, where uh, the Ukrainian military destroyed the Russian military vehicles. And I asked them to take me there because uh, there is no transportation right now in the city. And if you even uh, got the car, there is no gas. So there is no way you can you know, uh, go around the city. So you like glued to the district where you live. So I asked them to take me there. And when we were there, actually, uh, the shelling uh, began that uh, it was about 1 to 2 p.m. The shelling started that uh, uh, we knew later hit the residential areas. Uh, oh, my gosh. Have you heard that? Yes, I heard that. That was very loud. Wow. Was that close? Yes. Are you okay? Do you want to stop? No, we can go on. I just will ask uh, by... Uh, I will just... Uh, uh, Do you want to check? Close the window, gosh. That's yes. That's really close. Yeah. <laughs> Do you need to move rooms? Uh, no, I can... Uh, yeah, I, I can stay here... Uh, we can go on, yeah. Okay. Ah, yeah, sorry, I, I just... Uh, That's okay, don't yeah. worry about it. Don't okay. worry about it. Yeah. 
Um, oh boy, my heart is racing. I'm not sure how you're so composed. Um, okay, let's keep going then. Mm-hmm. So um, what has the mood been like in Kharkiv since all of this started? Well, at first, people, like, they didn't know what to do. It was unexpected for everyone. I mean, that uh, we knew that uh, that uh, something might happen soon, but then nobody was uh, thinking that actually they will start shelling the residential areas. So that was... Uh, like people were, uh, you know, frozen and they, nobody knew what to do. Like some were panicking, someone was trying to leave the city, you know, that kind of situation during the first day. So uh, I myself was coping with that because I started to get requests from international media early in the morning, right when the attack started. So I somehow got myself together, you know, spending all the day till the late night on the news and like myself looking through the news and then commenting and you know I'd like had no time for panicking or anything because I was on that uh, but actually people around me were uh, whom I know after my neighbors the, some of them did left some you know uh, stayed but actually it was a, the first day was the most you no know, difficult probably in terms of uh, you no know, people not knowing uh, what to do, and the situation was unexpected. So those who wanted to leave, they left the city already, mostly. So now the people who are staying here, they probably do not have place where to go or they do not want to leave at all, uh, like myself, for example. And uh, uh, that is why uh, we are uh, here. And uh, uh, so people with small... Gosh, what's going on there? So people... With small children, they, uh, they, people with small children, they just stay here uh, and, you know, hiding in basements. I have a family of, uh, which is living in my apartment house and they have two small kids. I have seen them yesterday. So they, you know, go to the basement uh, uh, every, like, I don't know, every two hours uh, or spend the night there. And others uh, who are ready to fight. So I have a lot of colleagues and friends, you know, who are in territorial defense units or in military who are really angry because, you know, Russian rockets are now uh, killing our children. Are you okay Uh, Hey, Madeline, this is like something really loud right now. I would prefer that we probably... So I already understand everything, so... Yeah. Do you want to yeah. stop here? Yes, because... Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, we'll stay in touch, okay? And yeah, yeah, please yeah. stay safe, Maria. Okay, yeah, thank you. Yeah, bye-bye, bye-bye. Bye. With Maria and Madeline's interview ending like that... We weren't sure we'd be able to speak to Maria again, but we did. Nine hours later, I reached her at home. And in that time, we learned that the very loud blast you heard was from what officials said was a cruise missile and rocket attack, striking a municipal government building in Kharkiv. It erupted into a massive fireball in the city's core. Maria, the last time we had you on the line, the last time our producer Maddie had you on the line, we heard a, a big explosion. How close was that to you, and are you doing okay after that? 
Well, it was uh, very close, uh, probably up to two kilometers. So on uh, actually the walk walking distance from where I live and uh, what it was, it was uh, not as the usual shelling that Russia is now doing for the six days already. So that one was a one big explosion. And uh, it is reported that it was a, a missile rocket that uh, hit the uh, the building of the main Kharkiv regional administration. So the main administrative building in the city, but now it's completely destroyed. I have seen the mm -hmm footages and the videos and the photos from there. So that's uh, the um, emergency services are still working on getting the bodies uh, from the build. So from what was left uh, from the building from inside. And uh, I think we have already uh, eight uh, confirmed uh, deaths, and, uh, but they do not know how many people were actually in the moment when uh, the rocket uh, hit. Have you had a chance to, to I don't know, go outside or, or see what, what it looks like or anything? No, I haven't been outside today because today it was uh, heavy shelling all the day and uh, near in my area. So Russia is now deliberately uh, targeting residential areas and uh, having people there as hostages because when you cannot go outside, it means you cannot get anything to eat and uh, you know some people probably need some medicines or some some kind of emergency supplies but it's not possible at the moment because no one is outside and right now when it's uh, already uh, night here the the streets are completely dark because people try to hide all the lights so that they will not uh, be the the target for the uh, rockets or for the uh, air flights which were used so which Russia also used today because I have heard it really uh, close uh, to where I live like the bombarder you know flying uh, in the area but I'm not sure because I have friends here the, actually the group of journalists with whom I uh, went outside the day before and now they leave left the city because they now see, say, said that. Uh, and they worked in really different uh, hot spots all over the world. But today they said they are leaving because they do not know Langar can stay in the city because it is too dangerous. So I don't know, you know, what will happen tomorrow. And my fear is that they will be targeting uh, critical infrastructure objects so that the city will end up without the water and electricity and heating, what is most important because it is really cold outside right now and uh, no, with, without heating it will be very soon become a, a, a disaster. It sounds like it's a it's a very dangerous situation there frankly. Are, are you staying and, and, and why have you decided to stay in Kharkiv? Well as for, for me personally it's my home. Uh, I don't want uh, I have uh, my friends have offered my me uh, numerous times to go uh, uh, to go somewhere in Europe and they were prepared saying that they I might live with them you know so the, the place is prepared and I can go there any moment but then uh, I do not want to become a refugee and uh, it's like you know living uh, it's like the robber is in your house and you just uh, go out and leave so that's probably for some of the people it would be the decision especially if it is family with small children or with uh, elderly and uh, who are who could not take care of themselves then it's the only option for you to leave but i am i feel like i will stay and fight for where i live because that is everything i have this is my home here i have been here for all my life and i feel committed 
know, to document them as much as I can and to be a witness of that because uh, I'm sure that uh, sooner or later all these people who gave these orders to do that, they will become uh, war criminals and there will be the case and they will sit there like the Nazis did uh, uh, during the Nuremberg process when uh, they were sentenced uh, to different kind of punishment. I mean, it sounds like so one of the reasons why you're staying, Maria, is that you, you can provide accurate information. You can you can have a sense exactly of what is going on. Um, and I know you've done a lot of work with disinformation as well. I want to ask you about what you're seeing in this war about uh, with Russian disinformation in particular. Can you give us an example of a really bad piece of disinformation that that has been widely shared here that that you've seen? Well, this is the major disinformation campaign I've ever seen. So I'm, I have never seen anything like that before, even in 2014, when also Russia used disinformation to create the ground to uh, to occupy Crimea and occupy the part of the Donbass. It was not the same as we see now. At first, the Russian narrative, the main narrative was that they were trying to show Ukraine as an aggressor who, with the support of our partners in the West, is preparing an attack on Donbass. So all kinds of that stories that allowed Putin then uh, to claim that uh, Ukraine uh, was preparing a genocide against the population in Donbass and now Russia has to protect that population. So after after that, actually, the invasion happened, the, the war ha- started, but it doesn't stop Russian wave of disinformation. So when I describe disinformation, I say that it has aim to harm something, to, uh, to, you know, to undermine something, because it always has some aim. So it is not just uh, spreading some false news without anything uh, particular having in mind. So no particular uh, aim. It, it is always targeting something. So in this case, uh, the target is the uh, perception of the international community of the uh, Russian war. So they always, you know, go, it starts with the naming. So they now say everyone to use in Russia, that is a special military operation. You cannot use the word war. So it even goes stronger. Uh, and uh, what what is it now about? So there is a military censorship in Russian media. They claim that, for example, that the video footage that uh, I made myself, uh, that uh, you, you probably have seen on Twitter. And this is the place where yesterday Ukrainian military destroyed a column of Russian light vehicles that tried to enter our city. And you now see what happened to them. They are destroyed completely. So fully destroyed. And you see this? So for that and for other set kind of videos, they say that it, it is staged by Ukraine. So it's not real that Ukraine put that vehicles deliberately and uh, no, tries to show that it was Russian troops and Russian troops do not attack any civilian objects in Ukraine. While, you know, I hear the shelling going on every 15 minutes near where I live. So you've had an actual video that you yourself have posted and recorded and posted yes. and you've had people saying that that's disinformation. Yes, then yeah. uh, underneath yeah, p- p- posting uh, uh, on Twitter that that is disinformation and that that is not real and mm-hmm. they have a huge campaign on social media with bots and trolls 
who go into you know look or search by the uh, keywords for for these topics go to the you know publics or you know discussions uh, tweets and post their their different kinds of narratives that are claiming that Russia has nothing to do with what is happening now in Ukraine for those of us seeing this this kind of content online, Maria, when we see lots of people sharing all kinds of different content, what should we look out for to make sure that what we are seeing is is real? Well, uh, I would believe the official sources. I always go and check with the official sources of information. When, when you see Russian accounts, there will be always a mark and the Twitter is now marking them and the Facebook as well, uh, that this is a state-sponsored Russian media. And if you see that it is a state-sponsored media, it means that is part of the network and of Russian you know, uh, information influence. And Russia sees uh, media not like media in the sense of, you know, it is seen in democracies, uh, in democratic countries. It sees media as a tool in the information war. So they are now uh, using that to manipulate and try to influence the opinion in the West. And I think what I see now from what is being posted, a very worrying, um, very worrying perspective because they might go for any kind of you know, provocation to prove their position because they need now to prove somehow that they're actually here peacekeeping and, you know, protecting civilian population because now everyone is blaming Russia for the crimes. So they might stage some kind of provocation to accuse after that Ukraine. And that's really threatening. What exactly would you be worried about here within this sphere? Um, I don't know if your listeners know uh, that uh, before Russia started the Chechen war, uh, it uh, it is known that Russian FSB, Russian Special Services, blowed up uh, uh, residential buildings in in Moscow. So they brought their explosive and uh, blowed up that buildings, and it allowed Putin to uh, accuse Chechen, uh, Chechen uh, uh, like military in that and start war uh, against Chechnya, which is the uh, region inside Russia, which wanted to be uh, independent from Russia. This is the kind of like false flag operation that we've been hearing a lot about. Exactly, mm-hmm. yes. And so that that kind of false flag operation can happen uh, here in Ukraine, because uh, we have had uh, no, uh, numerous uh, warnings from our intelligence about that uh, that could happen. So what they might go for is uh, they might uh, try to create some kind of provocation, some kind of attack, uh, for example, on the occupied Donbass with many casualties among civilians and then accuse Ukraine in that. And that will allow Russians to dehumanize Ukrainians. We don't know exactly what that might be. There could be many uh, such things uh, staged up and uh, we made as a false flag operation. And then you know, uh, with their war correspondence, Russian war correspondence will be there immediately filming everything and taking pictures and then creating a story out of it. Maria, just very lastly here, I, I want to ask you about Kharkiv because you know this city well. What was it like before the war started? So we can understand, I guess, what's being lost in this city now as it takes really heavy shelling from Russian artillery. 
Yes, it is uh, so sad to see it because it's my hometown. I went to school here and to the university. And uh, that's a little the second largest city in Ukraine. That's a very big industrial, scientific and university center. We have here lots of universities with uh, many international students who are actually now stuck here because they cannot uh, they didn't manage to get out of Ukraine because the airports are now not functioning after the shelling and there is no way for, for the, you know, how you can get out uh, of here. And uh, that was a, like blooming and very young city because we had coffee shops on every corner and people were outside, lots of parks and amusements. And so right now when it is completely deserted, with no people at all, with, you know, the uh, uh, buildings on fire and this uh, main square bombarded by the Russian uh, rockets. It just, uh, it uh, you know, uh, it like breaks my heart. I today was looking at the pictures after the, uh, during, that were made during the Nazi occupation because Kharkiv was occupied uh, by, by Nazis and it reminds me that time, like, shall we? Maria, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today, and, and please stay as safe as possible there. Thank you, thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for, for having me. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. The information war is also playing out on Canadian airwaves. On Sunday, Canada's largest TV providers, including Bell and Rogers, said they would no longer distribute a channel called RT, or Russia Today. In a report last month, the U.S. State Department said that this channel is a, quote, critical, unquote, part of Russia's disinformation ecosystem. On Tuesday, YouTube announced it's blocking RT-related channels from airing in Europe. Germany has also banned the German-language service of RT, while the U.K.'s television regulator said it's launching investigations into the channel because of impartiality concerns. Thanks for listening. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. I'll talk to you tomorrow.